Ladies and gentlemen, have we got a braai for you this evening, this day, whenever you're listening to this podcast. It's been a wonderful, wonderful weekend of football on the continent of Africa. Some brilliant semifinals in the CAF Champions League, some brilliant semifinals in the CAF Confederation Cup, and some absolute chaos going on in the final match day of the Premier Soccer League in South Africa. And there is no one, no one better to digest this with me than Courtney Fries, a former PSL winner on the On The Whistle podcast. Courtney, how are you doing this evening? Alistair, very excited to talk about all the topics you mentioned. I've never seen an end of season like it, um, where teams that were fighting at the top end of African competitions were, um, were fighting relegation uh, in their own places and own goals, capacity stadiums, and I need to give so many apologies out there to all the Sundowns people. Goodness gracious. That's that's where we need to start, Alistair. Courtney, apologize. <laughs> Absolutely, which is not something you hear very often, let me tell you. Courtney Courtney's not quick to apologize, but let me tell you, Courtney, coming back to the Sundowns game, you said you weren't going to be impressed with, with the atmosphere coming um, from the Sundowns fans, you you know, it's often been accused as a, you know, a bit of a plastic club, a club that doesn't have much culture, much energy, you know, and especially when you compare that to the first Widad game, when, you know, Widad fans, the ultras always provide a stellar atmosphere. But actually, the Sundowns fans came out with, with the color. So firstly, that's where I think we should start, Alistair. I was very critical after the first leg. I looked at the atmosphere. I highlighted it so much of what we dad had had out there in Casablanca. What a beautiful setting. I still can't get over it. Uh, I feel more games should be held out there at that level. Beautiful. And I just didn't feel that Sundowns could replicate anything similar to that and, and, and bring a, a wave of yellow. But I'm wrong. They did. A, a, a tsunami of yellow all over. What an atmosphere. Um, before the game, the, 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 the social media was buzzing uh, for the semi-final. And wow, also what a game. What a game, I'm telling you, Alistair. The, the thing that impressed me the most is that watching it, the opportunities on, on show, but some of the saves from the goalkeepers, man. Goodness gracious me. It had everything. I, I thoroughly enjoyed the game. Just sad with the way it ended. I mean, yes, sad for the Sundowns fans and for, for those South Africans hoping to for Mamelodi Sundowns to get to the final. Just a quick recap. Mamelodi Sundowns came into their home tie against Widad Casablanca. It was nil-nil uh, after after what the first leg in, in Casablanca, which was, again, a crazy game in of itself. Sundowns reduced to nine men, but holding on for the nil-nil. And Sundowns took the lead in this game through a brilliant Tembazwane goal. Ayub El Amlud pulled it back with a lovely header before Sundowns retook the lead in the 79th minute, thinking that they were going through to the final. But another goal by Peter Shalilule, who continues to impress. But just a few minutes later, Sundowns' hearts were broken when Mothobi Mvala headed into his own goal. Widad managed the game out. And in CAF football, the away goal rules still count. So Widad Casablanca are through to the final to play against Al Ahli of Egypt to reignite that rivalry after Al Ahli dispatched Esperance 1-0 and 4-0 on aggregate. But on the Sundowns game, on this Widad game, Courtney, I mean, it felt, you know, what went wrong for Sundowns? Because it felt coming into this, there was such a wave of positivity. They've been playing some of the best football we've ever seen on the continent in terms of the style, the brand, the excitement, the goals, the def- like, you know, the number of goals they concede. It's just incredible 
football from coach Murulani Mukwena. And, you know, if, if you want to hear more about that, we spoke to, to Maher Mazahi, who interviewed Mukwena for a piece last week. Um, mm. Go back to listen to that. But, you know, here they were playing a team in Widad who really struggled at home against Sundowns, didn't look the shadow of themselves from last year. And yet Widad got the job done. You know, what went wrong for Sundowns? Well, listen, Alistair, I think I think there was an element of deception there. I, I will say this, and, and let me tell you why I feel that. With that, what they showed in the first leg, I, I thought to myself, Sundowns will walk over them. There was absolutely no impetus at home. They just looked flat. They didn't look like they had a punch in them. They looked lethargic. They looked leggy. They looked like they had been overrun, overworked, and there was just no energy in them. Now, yes, I do understand that they had a manager change very shortly before the first league game. I totally understand it. But with that, just didn't look like they were supposed to be in that semi-final competition. They just didn't look like it. They, well, we uh, accidentally got here. The second leg, they just look unrecognizable. And you must also remember, for the people that are watching this game, uh, where Loftus Fersfeld is, it's at altitude. There's the other thing, you know. So that has to be taken into account. Going to play football in Pretoria um, will really take a strain on you if you don't acclimatize well. But these guys looked fantastic in the second leg. Yes, you got to admire Timbers won his goal. I think, you know, if you're looking at a composed, classy finish, the way he picks it up from a good press, there's your first thing. The trap is set. They break it down as the defender's about to collect the ball. He picks up on it, and then he just curls it with a very lovely shape into the bottom left-hand corner of the goalkeeper. Very relaxed, good finish, you know, just increasing the profile of Timbers 1. And I mean, Courtney, you, you're a man who's played kind of at a high-level football. You, you've been under pressure situations. And, you know, we speak so much in, in continent football, whether it's, you know, in Africa, in Europe, in Asia, in South America, you know, how much pedigree matters. You know, there's a reason why Al-Akhli are serial winners. There's a reason why Real Madrid are serial winners. And we saw that with, with Widad. What really struck me about this game was once Widad had gotten that second goal, gotten that equalizer, they played almost 50. There's still 15 minutes of the game left for, uh, about, but Sundowns didn't lay a glove on them. You know, Sundowns couldn't get in the game because Widad managed it so well. Like how much, how important is that kind of experience of these, you know, so many of these players have been there and done that. They won it last season. They've been battling in the Batola Pro all this season with with the likes of Asfarabat and, and Raja. You know, how much does that actual, you know, the fact that they have that pedigree, whereas Sundown seem to have a chip on their so shoulder? You know, Alistair, the, the question you ask has got so many multiple facets in terms of an answer. And I'll try and put all the variables mm. in here, um, in this. My biggest problem with, with the goal... So, firstly, let's look at the equalizing goal, right? A wonderful crossing from the left and uh, right-hand side. Taken with a left footer. So, basically, the cross puts the defense under threat. If you don't win it at the first man, the ball, the second man has the opportunity of scoring an own goal, which is exactly what happened. If the own goal doesn't get scored, the ball just goes straight in. There's the other thing. It's a deadly cross. It's an undefendable cross if the first man doesn't win it. This is what happened. The equalizer gets scored. Now, going back to your question of game management, this is another style of managing a game. This is what managers talk about and where they earn their money. When we up, 
how do we then control the game? Now, controlling the game, when you're at home, when you are flying, when you have your supporters behind you, is one thing. When you are away from home, capacity crowd, very few of your supporters, and you are on a bit of a positive result, that's a different thing. So the Widard manager and players have to be given exceptional credit on just how they manage it. What you got to do is also give credit to the goalkeeper, man. Second, first off, took a lot of saves. I just don't know what went wrong with Sundown second off. Like you said, didn't lay a glove on them. But this also has to come down to Widard. How they kept him at different spaces, not allowing them to get too close to the goal. Um, and with 20 minutes to go, you think to yourself, there has to be a chance here. And there wasn't. There was nothing. Yeah, and, and it's interesting, you know, we spoke last week, Maher was telling us about how, the, you know, the many ways in which Rilani Mokwena had was trying to prepare his team for that hostile environment in, in Casablanca, you know, the way in which he was saying, they're putting them under mental stress so that when they actually come in training, so that when they come into the actual game, you know, they're used to that stress, so it's a little easier to play. But it was interesting hearing the Widad coach Sven Vanderberg talking about after the game, how, you know, Widad had explicitly prepared how to manage the final 10 minutes of the game. You know, he, he said in the press conference, you know, they, they prepared for different scenarios. If they're one goal behind and they're chasing the game, if they're holding on to the lead, if they're comfortable, you know, how do they manage that? And you could see that the way in which, you know, they went after that, that second goal, you know, and the first. And like you said, you know, I think I've seen a lot online of, you know, people, fans kind of complaining about Motobi Mvala and, say, you know, saying like, you know, big mix up between him and Ronwin Williams. But like you said, that is an incredible cross from uh, Yaya Atiat Allah, who, bear, bear in mind, is the man who crossed that ball for Yusuf and Nezri to score that stunning header for Morocco in the World Cup quarterfinals to take them to the semifinals against Portugal. You know, this is a man with a terrific delivery. But yeah, I think we have to give credit to Widad in the way in which they managed the kind of final minutes and that, that experience that they have. The, the problem we have with the cross is that, so, so firstly, let's look at the outcome. It's an own goal. And the supporters would be giving, uh, I'm trying to think of um, the guy who scored the own goal, uh, Mvala, sorry. Supporters would be giving him a, a, um, a hard time. I've seen it on social media. I was listening to the, 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 the social media after the game with the Sundowns TV, giving him a hard time. You couldn't do nothing. With that cross, you couldn't do nothing. If he didn't touch it, it was going in. If he didn't touch it. It was going in. Ronwin was in a position where it's also not his fault. The cross is perfect. It's a dangerous cross. It leaves you with no alternative to either touch it or not touch it. And some and the majority of time in touching that ball, it's going to be an on goal. So and also what makes it even worse is the weight and the speed of the ball. So you know, uh, unless you're in the position, you'll think to yourself, "Well, he could have defended it." No, he couldn't have. The ball was at the front part of his head he couldn't do anything about it it was going to be an on goal it's just unfortunate for that maybe maybe going back because hindsight is a beautiful thing hindsight is a beautiful thing think about who's taking the cross let's go back to your statistics i can't believe rulani mcquina hasn't had this conversation it's placing the man in front of the free kick to change the projection of the free kick 
Now, Alistair, this is a very, um, and I don't mean to disrespect anybody that's listening to this, but, <laughs> but I'm sure it will. The guy with the left-footed cross is going to whip it from left to right as he hits it. It's going to go. So you put one of your tall men standing 10 yards away a bit to the left of the cross. So that means this guy now has to think about his how he sets the cross off. He's not aiming for where he is. He has to set the cross that goes wide of the player and out. And that changes the whole projection of the ball. So it's those small things and it's things to think about afterwards. But listen, long story short, quality cross, unfortunate own goal, without in the final. What were Sundowns doing in the last 20 to 15 minutes? There is your analysis. What were you doing? And I think, oh, you know, want to... You know, we want to move on to, to you know, because there's plenty more to talk about. But I'll give you a final word on Sundowns. You know, how will they respond to this? Because, you know, they've been confirmed as PSL champions weeks and weeks ago. You know, they're dominant in South Africa. But this was, you know, they have only won one Champions League title under Pizzo Mosimane, you know, back in 2016. And also, let's let's not forget, this might be the last CAF Champions League we've there ever will be. Because we we're seeing later this year the introduction of the of the African Super League. Now we've been told many different things about it. We've been told that the CAF Champions League, you know, will still exist, but it certainly won't carry the same pedigree that it has now because you know the biggest teams, including probably Sundowns, will be in the Super League. So how much more will it hurt both Sundown fans, the players, but especially Rulani Mokwena, the fact that this might have been and probably was their last ever chance to win the CAF Champions League final. It's a gargantuan failure, in my opinion. Gargantuan. Absolute. Everything was there. You must remember, Sundowns are one of the, the best, most prepared teams on the continent. Dylan Kerr was on here a few weeks. He was telling us what they do in order to be ready for games. You know? Um, yes, I think, I think this failure to get to the final will hurt and hurt tremendously because... There is no other opportunity to get to this type of final. The Super League comes in, this format goes away, um, and it becomes even harder now with the Super League. I, I think Rulani will sit down um, with his team. Uh, firstly, take some time away from the game, but then sit down and analyze what could we have done. I still think that more could have been done in order to be a bit more direct. Now, I'll take you back to the days, and nobody will nobody will um, make a fuss about this, Alistair, but sometimes you've got to go direct and you've got to go ugly in football when things aren't working, okay? I, I, I remember um, Gary Lineker talking about when he was at, Bob, uh, at Barcelona under Bobby Robson. He said, they, we, we used to play this excellent football. He said, but when things weren't working, they used to take the center back, put him up front, and let him cause some case and play long balls. This was happening at Barcelona. I remember when we were at Manning Rangers under Gordon Ingerson, um, it never used to happen many times, but there was a period we used to take Gavin Radford, who was the sweeper, and put him up front and then hit long balls to him. The, having the big man in the box that can knock balls down, hold play up, and create a bit of physical presence. Um, 
negativity in the box needed to happen. You cannot always play fantastic football. And the 20-minute window, as you said, how we dad prepared for their 20-minute window, where was the 20-minute preparation by sundowns? They will really be hurting at this time. Really be hurting, man. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure sundowns will rally again and come back strong next year. You know, even though they got knocked out, they, you know, it's a cup competition. These things can happen. They experience it in the next bank cup as well. Um, but they play brilliant football. We're looking forward to seeing more of them, you know, especially if this, this African Super League comes off the ground and we get to see them playing against the very best. We look forward to it. But for Widad, they're through to the final. And guess who they play? You know, I'll give you, I'll give you any guess. Every, everyone will get it. I swear even someone living in uh, Papua New Guinea, if you tell them who's in the CAF Champions League final, they'll be like, oh, no question, Al-Akhli. Of course Al-Akhli are in the final. They tried their best to get knocked out in the group stages against Al-Hilal, but they got through that. They've beaten Raja. They've beaten Esperance both fairly comfortably. And now they're in the final once again against Widad. Now, bear in mind for those who have not been switched on to the Champions League the last year, a year ago, Al-Akhli, Widad faced off in the final. And at that point, there was no ground selected. Cap hadn't awarded the hosting rights to any ground. And so with just a few weeks before the game, the rights were awarded to Widad's home ground. Technically not associated with them, uh, <laughs> the Mohammed V Stadium, because them and Raja both own it, and it's also their international stadium. But Widad were effectively playing a home game. One leg, Pizzo Mosemani versus Walid Regragi. A lot of bad blood between Widad and Al-Akhli, although not between those two. And Widad came out on top. Now we've returned, partially, I think, because of that fiasco. CAF has returned to a home and away two-legged final. And so now Widad are going to be going to Cairo to play Al-Akhli in the first leg. Courtney, how, how you know, just put yourself in the shoes of an Al-Akhli fan. How excited would you be to saying, rubbing your hands together, saying, oh, revenge can be so, so, so sweet. You know, what? what is that environment going to be like? Well, listen, you, you heard me talk so glowingly about the Casablanca environment. The Cairo environment is just going to have a bit of an edge more. What Cairo fans would have been wanting is the second leg to be in Cairo. But it's going to be, firstly, North Africa showing its power again. Let's just start there. North Africa. Unfortunately, as we said, we all heard Sundowns don't get to it. But the North African teams and Al Atli, the giants that they are with Percy Tau, just the atmosphere that's going to be there, it's going to be electric. And thank goodness there's two legs to this final. How exciting is that? When last has there been two legs to a final? That is so exciting. You know, we're giving the supporters of both crowds the opportunity to watch this final twice. Come on. I, I, I can't wait. I wish the Champions League final in Europe was two, on two legs. I wish it was. And, and and you see, you know, in recent years, perhaps not this year, but we've seen how fans in Europe, particularly, the semifinals tend to be the best, the most exciting, because you have the teams playing at home in front of their home fans. European finals, oh, it's a, it's a snooze fest because it's a tight game, but also there's no fans there. It's all corporates. It's all, you know, executives. It's all media people. It's all sponsors. Whereas... In CAF football in Africa and Asia, we saw it when Al-Hilal took on Rawa. 
you get the home crowds and you get that excitement, you get that fire. And I can't wait. I think, you know, from my perspective, Al-Akhli will have to be favorites. They always have to be favorites, but <laughs> potentially bar last year, which would add were favorites. Um, but, you know, Courtney, with your PSL hat, with your South African biased hat on, what a season in the Champions League Percy Tau is having. Doesn't, he, he set up another goal in Al-Akhli's one goal, a one nil win against Esperance. Go watch the highlights. That pass was a thing of beauty, slicing the defense open for El Shahat to finish. But he's five assists, four goals. And I've also been seeing rumors that there's been interest from clubs in Belgium where he had a very good stint previously. You know, Courtney, you talked last week about how important it was for him to stay at Al-Akhli and succeed after Pizzo had left with all that pressure on him. You know, for for now, what do you think would be best for him? To, to stay with Al-Akhli, to keep playing this, but or if he gets a chance to try and reestablish himself back in Europe. Bear in mind, I think he's 29, so getting on in years, you know, just what what are your thoughts on Percy Tao and his situation? Firstly, let's congratulate him for firstly getting to the final and playing an instrumental role in getting his team there. Um, his, his semi-final performance was excellent. Esperance were obviously a weak team, but you got to put them to the sword. you got to win clinically. you got to be good, and he was excellent. Let's just start there. Um... To answer your question, I'll answer it in a short term and a long term. The short term, win the trophy. Add another notch in his belt. Add another bit of silverware. And not just any silver, big silverware to his cabinet that's even more full than Tottenham Hotspur's cabinet. That's not saying much, to be fair. <laughs> well, <laughs> then secondly, move. 100% leave Alakli. Why? Um... 29 years old, the opportunity to go back into Europe. Uh, he won't just go to anybody. The rumors are Anderlecht, firstly. Okay, so they are at the top end of the, the spectrum in Belgium. An opportunity for him to go back there, uh, do well. He's not going to crack it in, in the bigger leagues in the, um, the Premier League. He wasn't given a proper opportunity. But get back into Belgium and now start getting himself ready for his latter years as a professional. But I think that's, that is the short-term and long-term project he should be looking at. Moving into Belgium and really putting down a marker. I'm coming back here having won big things, of which some of them haven't won in their lives or even got to cup finals. So whoever gets Percy Tau on that level in Europe would be one hell of a lucky team. Moving on, you know, we've spoken about the CAF Champions League. We've spoken about Percy Tao and his journey in the Champions League. But the Champions League was not the only continental football being played this week. Earlier on Wednesday, we saw the CAF Confederation Cup semifinals take place. And Courtney, once again, you had a vested interest in one of these matches. It was, you know, our friend Dylan Kerr's plucky Marumo Gallants going up against the giants of Tanzania Yanga. They were 2-0 down after the first leg and you know you said you still had hope you still you said you still had faith especially because they had a terrific home record you know they, for instance they lost to the other finalist USM of Algier 2-0 away and then took them back to South Africa 1-2-0 you know but Yanga got the job done fist in Mayale inspired performance with a goal and a assist. superb assist check out that assist for the second goal running kind of half the length of the pitch in a couple strides unbelievable but you know, just quickly from you, what what went wrong for Gallants? You know, how did Yanga do it? 
Alyssa, you know, I think of 2002, South Korea and Japan. Yaldron Buckley comes on our show when we first started off three and a half years ago and says to us, the night before they played Spain, they were up until three o'clock in the morning fighting about bonuses, fighting about salaries, fighting about people not being paid. What were the reports coming out the day before the game between Marumo Gallants and Young Africans? What was the reports? Players not being paid, the, the, the media uh, sending out reports that the club has played. All the wrong, all the wrong messages. Absolutely all the wrong vibes. And then I was worried, Alistair. That's when I was worried. Prior to that, I just thought they have got a knockout punch waiting. Two nil down, first leg. It's not a problem. Once you get one goal, two nils be a terrible score to get. You eventually are going to get the second one. But all the wrong messages were coming out. None of the messages were about how Marumo Gallants were ready. It was about salaries and paying and players not being paid. Clubs sending messages out that players have been played. Uh, it was just ridiculous, ridiculous. But speaking to the manager who's been trying to hold together a ship that has absolutely been going the wrong way and going the wrong way quickly, he said they still could have won that game. He said the amount of opportunities from his perspective that they put together, he's just very proud of the players. And, you know, Dylan is a very honest man. If he says to you, you know, Courtney, they walked all over us, that's what happened. Now, he was bitter because 4-1 doesn't represent what his team, that represents his identity, put in place. Um, young Africans just took their chances at the right time. You know, also scoring goals at the right time and also diffuse the game as well. And that wasn't the case, you know. They also weren't that much better, but I think Marumo Gallants had gone as far as they were supposed to. This was a fairy tale. You must remember, um, this is not fiction. It's non-fiction. For me, it felt like, you know, in football, we love to stereotype. You know, we often say in, in society, we shouldn't stereotype. And, and very oftentimes that's true. But in football, somehow we have a blind eye. We stereotype all the time. And, and this game, to me, felt like it, it really played into one of the narratives that we see with South African football, both at a club and international level, where the football is good, the technical skill is there. You know, Maruma Gallon's playing some excellent passing triangles, moving the ball really quickly. You know, Shivario looked excellent again. But physically, they couldn't keep up. And, and we saw that with, with that second goal, with Mayele in particular, who is an absolute unit. I think uh, the, the Gallon centre-back compared him to Cristiano Ronaldo, you know, that felt like the difference is that you had a team that was organized in Yanga and also incredibly physical. And although Gallants played some some good football, played some neat and tidy football, they just couldn't keep up with kind of the physical side of things. And and this is why I say, Alisa, you know, you, you, you can't be too critical on the team. And I think I think Dylan's I think that's Dylan's message. Don't be too critical. We weren't supposed to be there. We got there, you know, with a team. If you if he has to put a team together, he wouldn't be picking all these players. He he would want a bit more to give him more of a chance. But if you look at youngers, when they are scoring, when they scored their goals just before halftime, that creates a different level of pressure. So you're going in now, you're three nil down. There's the pressure, and then they get one 
on the 60th minute, where normally managers make huge substitutions in games to change the game. And that's when the fourth one comes. So now you're really under pressure. You're really chasing yourself. Uh, I just thought from young Africans, they managed the game well. Marumo Gallants ran out of steam uh, and didn't have any more punches to throw. But they've got to be given credit. I just think that the, the narrative I started with at the beginning of this conversation. Listen, please, man. You know, I, 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 if there's someone out there listening to this, listen to just this point, please. As African footballers, let's stop disabling ourselves in preparation for tournaments or games. Please. This is just not helping that players are not being paid. The day before big games, people are fighting about money, fighting about bonus. This should not be coming out. This should not be in the media. Treat your players well, man. Then we won't have these. Because uh, honestly, I'm telling you, as soon as I saw those reports, Alistair, I knew that was them. Done. Finished. Like South Africa in 2002 against Spain, loss. Similar. Loss. And, and if you want, listener, to, to hear a bit more about Marumo Gallant's kind of travails and, and the ways in which kind of mismanagement has, has really cost them in, in terms of their calf, continental journey, go back to our earlier pods just a couple of weeks ago. We did oh, a two-part series with Dylan Kerr where he outlines particularly what happened in that kind of chaotic trip to, to, to Libya, in which two of their, uh, of their team, um, of their uh, staff were held hostage. Yeah. And, you know, the South African uh, kind of government had to get involved to help release them. But, yeah, it's such a shame. But, you know, we've talked a lot, Courtney, from with the South African hat on. And that makes sense. You know, you're a former PSL player. You know, we, we have a lot of South African influence in this podcast. Oftentimes, much to mine and Francis's uh, pain. But I'm going to put my, my East African hat on. And I'm pretending to be East African and not Kenyan right now because I think it is brilliant for Yanga to be in this final a brilliant story first time they've ever been to a calf calf final of any sort I think they're the first East African team um since since the 60s um when when Gormaya from Kenya made made it to the to the final correct me if I'm wrong I think it's all the way back then maybe, maybe the 80s but it's been a long long time and also them playing against USM Algier, who first time for them being in the CAF Confederation Cup. Obviously, they were in the Champions League final almost a decade ago when they lost to TP Mazembe. But, you know, one thing we've spoken about since our inception of the pod, like you mentioned earlier, three and a half years is, you know, we're coming into a post-COVID world and how much we want to see these stadiums full, how much we want to see the excitement. And I cannot think, I'm sorry to Marumo Gallants, but in terms of a spectacle, having... USM of Algier and Yanga in the final will be brilliant. You know, both the, you know, we saw in the uh, the, uh, the USM Algier game against Asek Mimosa, in which they won 2-0, comfortably win winning it. Fully packed stadium. Maher Mazahi was telling us that the, the stadium, the 5th of July stadium, uh, was sold out in just a couple hours. Benjamin Nkapa Stadium in, in Dar es Salaam, it will be fired up. You know, these are two of the best atmospheres you're going to see. And with Wirad and Al-Akhli, you know, yes, for some, those of us south of the Sahara, you know, it's a bit disappointing that it's once again North African teams cleaning up, but the atmosphere is going to be brilliant. And, you know, I'm sorry to Marumo Gallants, but for me as a spectacle, I'm, I'm so happy Angara there because I think it's going to be a brilliant final. 
But unfortunately, we have to keep piling it in on Marumo Gallants because this weekend it was not only the CAF Champions League and Confederation Cup semifinal, but it was also the final match day in the PSL. And for those of you who haven't been keeping up with the PSL, yes, Sundowns won it centuries ago. They've already won this title. But if you look beyond that, beyond the title race, it has been a thrilling, thrilling end to the season. Just to give you a rundown of, of what happened on the final day, Orlando Pirates and Supersport United were playing, vying for that that second place spot. Friend of the pod, Gavin Hunt, was and his Supersport team had been in second place for much of the season. But Orlando Pirates got the job done, beating Amazulu 4-0, while Supersport lost against uh, Sekakune, which left Pirates in second in that CAF Champions League spot. But... But, listener, it gets better looking down the table. Courtney's very own, his hometown club, Maritzburg United, came 15th in the relegation playoff. They'll have to play that in that relegation playoff now. Um, and as we were speaking uh, earlier, with our very bi- with, with very strong bias, we want them to get relegated because they refuse to come on the podcast. But once they come on the podcast and speak to us, then we'll get them promoted again. Don't worry. But last last place, and I kid you not, last place in the Premier Soccer League, relegated on the final day after a 2-0 loss against Swallows, is Marumo Gallants. Courtney, Marumo Gallants, we've just been speaking about them in a Confederation Cup semi-final on the verge of playing the same team they topped the group of. You know, bear in mind, they didn't come second in their group. They beat USM Algier in their group. And yet we're talking about them being relegated. What What is this madness? But listen, this is why you love football. This is why movie stars from Canada and America go and buy a team in Wrexham and, and, and take them into the National League. Listen, as I say, this is wonderful. This is the brilliance of football, and this is what we love. There are so many narratives from the top to the bottom that you mentioned there, Alistair, and you could spend half an hour on each of them. Let's just look at the top part. Sundowns won the league three years ago. That, that league was won, okay? Pirates are fighting. Seko Kuna pick up a manager, Brendan Truter, who, luckily, we, who we interviewing tomorrow, Alistair? Brendan Truter. Brendan is on with us to talk to us about the Nedbank Cup final and also about his career. So he comes in. Gavin Hunter steamrolling second place. He's got it secure. They end up beating Supersport 1-0. Pirates take over. Supersport finished third. There's another problem. Then you go to the bottom of the table. You have Marisburg United, as I said, my hometown team who refused to talk to us, whose media officer I think uh, must have three jobs because no one can ever get hold of him. Um, I, they were dead and buried a few weeks ago, dead and buried, and then came up with a couple of results going to the playoffs against guess who? Mr. Cape Town Spurs, Sean Bartlett, who is coming on this show in a few weeks' time to talk about his club. Then Marumo Gallants get relegated. Playing so well in Africa, get relegated. And guess who relegates them? Dylan Kerr's former club, Swallows. They relegate them. By goodness gracious. With every game and result, there is a narrative that is so closely linked. Swallows beat Marumo Gallants. Marumo Gallants get relegated. Uh, and just to throw another cocktail into it, they have their celebration that evening, their, their, their uh, evening out 
celebrating the achievements of the season. Who's their guest speaker? Lucas Rodebe. On the day, Leeds get relegated. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> no one's doing well. <laughs> no one's it's doing well. I'm going to throw one more thing in it. Marumo Gallants get relegated with prize money of 14.4 million rand. To win the PSL is 15 million rand. <laughs> so the team that came bottom and almost more money than the winners. Come on, man. Come, you know, if you said to someone, tell me the story, something no, that could have never happened. Honestly, we, we it deserves a podcast of its own because I, I think and, and let's be let's be fair to them, you know, this gallant story in terms of the Champions League, it was not kind of a Chelsea in 2012 Champions League where you know they're oh. they're a rubbish team but they're they're grinding results out they're be, you know this is a team that knocked you know beat USM Algiers in the in the group stage came top of their group the, in the quarterfinals they played pyramids one of the favorites uh, probably along Asfarabat at the beginning beat them, beat them incredibly and then went toe to toe with young with with Yanga you know this has been an incredible journey for them and it ends just 3 days after they're denied a place in the final of the Confederation Cup. Just three days later, they are staring down the barrel of a relegation by only one point on the last day. You know, bear in mind, and it wasn't just them and Maritzburg United. Chippa United were, were also in the mix. They they ended alongside Maritzburg United, both on 30 points with Marimo Gallants on, on 29. And Chippa got the draw on the last day of the season. But, but uh, Gallants couldn't get it done. And it's just absolute madness, absolute madness in, in the PSL. And this is why we love football. Like you said, the, the, the narrative, the, the journey. And, and bear in mind, again, one point between between uh, uh, a Mar- Maritzburg United and, and, and Marumo Gallants. Marumo yeah. Gallants have a much, much better goal difference. So if, if they'd gotten a, you know, just one point, and guess who Maritzburg United got their one point in the last day of the season? Mamalodi Sundowns. The best team in the land, the team that's cruising to, you know, looking like they're going to go to a Champions League final and have won the PSL, you know, by an absolute country mile and Maritzburg United get a draw with them. And that draw, that one point has put them at least into the relegation playoff and sent Marumo Gallants down. I mean, this, yeah, like you said, Courtney, this is why we love this game. This is, this is beautiful. You know, and Marumo Gallants, what a gallant uh, effort, let's say, that they put out there. Uh, USM uh, Algier, a fantastic team, ran all over Asik Mamosa, ran all over them, were absolutely... Mamosa was, weren't in the game, right? Weren't in the game. Um, Algier played fantastic. In the second leg, they were all over them. The goals that they scored, um, the momentum, they were just back and forth. And if it wasn't for the, the Mamosa goalkeeper, it could have been more. It should have been more, let me say that. So, you know, if you have to look at those two, Gallants outplayed uh, Alger in the group stage. It just makes no sense that they ended up where they ended up. I, I don't understand it. I really don't understand it. But this is, this is football. The league still continues. Uh, the playoffs now come into play. This is the difficult part. Marisburg could still go down. Cape Town Spurs, uh, with a great legacy uh, within South Africa, could come up, led by their former striker, Sean Bartlett, um, who I actually owe an apology to. 
That must another apology. Two in one podcast. Oh, gosh. <laughs> you know, I think I think uh, you know. I actually need to phone Sean because when they won on the last game of the season, I thought they were promoted, and I congratulated him. Oh no! Oh, I thought two get promoted, not one. Oh man! And he said, "No, but we still got to we got to play in the playoffs." Polo Kwane had gone through. Oh, my heart. <laughs> so, Sean, if you're listening, I'm so sorry. <laughs> oh, sorry. Oh, what a, what a, ah. well, Sean is certainly listening. Of course he is, because anyone who is anyone is listening to the On The Whistle podcast. So, Sean, I hope you accept that apology. Courtney, we've, we've spoken for a good long while about the, the pains and the joys of football on the on the African continent. We've seen some terrific football over the next weekend. And as Courtney said, a look ahead, you know, we're not quite, you know, we want to get away from South Africa, like like I said, me and Francis, but we're staying there for another bit because we're going to have a bonus podcast interviewing Brandon Trutter, the head coach of Sekakune United, who, Sekakune, who qualified for the CAF Confederation Cup. We're in the final of the NetBank Cup this weekend against Orlando Pirates, so stay tuned because that's going to be a brilliant podcast. Um, Courtney, thank you so much for for joining me around the bride tonight and chatting some of the madness of football and, and the game that we love.